when you go from high school hitting against high school pitching with an aluminum bat and then hitting against big league pitchers with a wood bat when you never used it was was very difficult in the beginning too and so i was trying to get a feel for like what type of bat i wanted what model i wanted to use i didn't even know what the models were Welcome back to episode three of From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series presented by Baseball America. My name is Kyle Bandujo, and I am your host. So far on this podcast, we've been interviewing and chronicling the journeys of current and former pro ball players who signed out of high school. Today, we're talking to former big leaguer Josh Booty, who in 1994 set the record for biggest bonus dished out to an amateur at that time. He also holds the distinction of having been drafted and signed in both the MLB and NFL drafts. It's a really interesting conversation about juggling passion for multiple sports, dealing with expectations, and everything else involving Josh's pretty unique career story, which includes a reality TV stint. I'm really appreciative that Josh was able to take the time, lay out his entire career, and offer some perspective on what he thinks the future looks like for guys playing both quarterback and trying to play baseball. If you enjoy this interview and want to hear upcoming episodes as soon as they're released every other Tuesday, Please subscribe to this feed wherever you get your podcast, and if you so wish, take the time, leave a five-star rating and a review, as those do help the podcast. If you haven't yet, please go check out our previous two episodes with former Nationals farmhand J.P. Ramirez and Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty. Also, be sure to check out everything going on at BaseballAmerica.com. Team Top 30s are out. Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy are covering college baseball. It's just a really good time of year to be a baseball fan and to be checking out Baseball America. Make sure you're also subscribed to the Baseball America podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. That's B-A-N-D-U-J-O. I'll be posting updates on this series with featured guest and episode info, as well as my weekly sports movie podcast, Big Screen Sports, which drops every Monday. With that, I hope you enjoyed the third episode from Phenom to the Farm with former big leaguer Josh Booty. All right, today I am joined by the fifth overall pick in the 1994 MLB draft by the team that was then known as the Florida Marlins and also former LSU and NFL quarterback Josh Booty. Josh, thank you for taking the time today, man. Man, I appreciate you having me on, Kyle, and I'm excited about uh, sharing a little bit about, I guess, my, my past in sports and how I grew up and course in Shreveport Louisiana playing a little football and playing a lot of baseball actually as a as a youngster uh, my dad was a football coach he didn't know much about baseball but he was a huge traveling softball player so I grew up at the ballpark and I remember I'd cry every night if he wouldn't take me to games and I fell in love with the game of baseball just because he you know I was at the ballpark with him all the time and so the you know the in-between of, of playing football and baseball I was a basketball player as well as a point guard on on uh, our high school team there at Shreveport uh, Evangel Christian and so I played every sport I could get you know anything I could get my hands on man and we were always playing I was always trying to organize games in the in the uh, neighborhood even if we didn't have games that you know, we could play organized as a, as a team. But anyways, I, I grew up loving, you know, just playing ball, brother. Yeah, I mean, you've got as interesting a background as, as really anyone, you know, who, who's been associated with minor league baseball. And, and coming up in the late 80s, early 90s, that's kind of before the era of specialization. And you're, you're in a football family, you had two brothers who ended up playing college football, you know, as – 
as you did when when you were coming up with baseball and basketball and football was there any any sense at all any push of maybe I should focus on one of these or was it I am just going to try to take every single one of these sports as far up the ladder as I can get well I knew that each one of them you know crossed over and you can see it now uh, with a lot of these quarterbacks in the National Football League having so much success like Russell Wilson and Mahomes and and uh, Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers, guys that played baseball as well and were infielders or, you know, middle of the field players. Um, you know, when I was when I was young, man, I, we had such a my, my dad and another gentleman started our high school, and re- really it was K five through twelve, so it was the entire school, and there wasn't we didn't have a lot of students at the school, so if you could play any type of sport, you were you know, you were, uh, you were going to be, you'd make the team and you were, you know, they needed you, they needed bodies. And so you could run, you had to play. Yeah. You had to play. I mean, we was small school Shreveport, Louisiana stuff, man. So, you know, they were trying to get me to run track or run the 200. I had no business running the 200, but I mean, that, that got me better for other things and, and, uh, the other sports, but, um, yeah, it was just like, you just play everything, you know, and everybody plays everything until, you know, you, you, you're either terrible or you can't, you know, you go to college or whatever. I mean, you just play everything. So it was, it was typical small school Friday night lights type of stuff in Louisiana. And, uh, we tried to make it happen. You ended up being a top, both a top baseball and quarterback recruit. Where, where baseball kind of match up with your love for football? You grew up in a football family. Did, could you, at, when you were in high school, when you were an amateur, was there one that you could easily pick over the other? You know, freshman, sophomore year, I would have said baseball um, was my favorite. I had a great high school baseball experience because the the head coach that I had, Rami Kujan was his name, played a minor league baseball, was a shortstop, played at Arizona State with Barry Bonds um under brock uh hall of fame coach and he you know he really taught me how to play the position Uh, i was a shortstop growing up in little league and third base and all that pitched a little bit played a little catcher actually my freshman year i was a catcher at our high school and uh you know but started as a as a freshman and was uh and was all district or whatever you know how you have the districts in high school as a freshman and uh, was really enjoying baseball probably more than football. And as we got better as a football team growing up with the new school and a lot of the younger players getting older, we were getting beat up really bad at the beginning of, of our of my football high school career. And I started as a freshman as quarterback, too. So uh, it was very, very difficult playing against you know, older guys in football as a pair compared to baseball, a little easier when you're getting licked around in football, you, you know, you, you almost want to quit, <laughs> you know? So that was a little tougher as it got, as I got older, my junior and senior year football became, uh, as much of a love as baseball and maybe even more just because it's so, so football is just so much fun. The games are so exciting and stuff like that. And we were doing well and, and, and people were showing up, to watch us and we were throwing the football when no one else was. And so football became probably my favorite by the end of my high school career. But during my high school career, I'd say baseball was probably um, the one that I enjoyed the most because of my situation and, and uh, the coach that I have. Well, and as far as how 
how much you really got to play baseball. You were obviously a, a multi-sport guy. The, those sport, those other commitments take away from your time. But in the era, you came up before the the perfect game era or the travel ball era. How much baseball, aside from your high school season, were you really playing? And how did was the actual recruiting and scouting process for you? How much were you really being seen? And you know, how many ABs were you getting in a year? Especially, <laughs> especially compared to the kids nowadays who yeah. play year round. Not anything like you know they get now. That's for sure. I think my senior year, I got seventy seven at bats or something. So we played twenty games or something. And uh, my summer, the summer, I'd probably play 20 games because I was trying to, you know, at the end of the summer, that would calm down and I would I would get geared up for football and training camp and all that uh, or two a days back then in high school. They don't even have that really anymore. But, um, you know, so I probably would get, you know, 150 at bats in a whole year and that's summer included. And now these kids get that in high school, you know, and they're in their season. So and then they play. 60 70 80 games so i mean these kids are getting a lot more baseball with the travels teams and different things and all the tournaments that they play every weekend it's just it's crazy but um from a from a scouting perspective my i was i was lucky enough and maybe it was because i was making a name for myself on the football side of things but um i was an all-state shortstop as a junior uh, and I got invited to play in the 1993 U.S. Olympic Festival in the off years of the Olympics. They have the Olympic Festival and it was held in San Antonio. So it was just United States uh, athletes playing in all the sports. But I got chose to play on the baseball side of things. And there's north, south, east and west. Anyways, I'll make a long story short. I got invited between my junior and senior year in the summer uh, to go play baseball on the U.S olympic south team and i got there and uh on my team was alex rodriguez who was the first pick overall in 93 and i was a year behind him and we were the two shortstops on the south squad well when i got there uh, of course i realized who i was going up against because everyone was talking about him not signing yet him playing him holding out uh with the mariners and and uh, we became roommates and, and good buddies um, at the time. But I said, you know what, I'm going to go play third base because <laughs> I knew that he was going to be the shortstop. He was just the first pick overall, and I was just a junior in high school. And so I went over and played third base, and, and we batted 3-4 in the lineup. We both made the, the junior national team, which we went on to play like the World Baseball Championships, and we played all over, you know, China, Taipei, Canada, Cuba all that together but that was right before my senior year of football and that was what i think was a big jump uh for me to make and the scouts saw that you know i was hanging in there with top top guys um and playing at that at a very high level and i was a year behind Canerco, who was in my draft we were talking about the draft off air um he was our first baseman um, we had seven first rounders on that starting team uh, in 1993, and that was I was a junior. Canerco was a junior. I think we uh, we had Eddie Yarnell too. He was we were the only juniors on the team, and you know every all of us played in the big leagues. Of course, Canerco had an unbelievable career, but that was what kind of I think the scouts saw me there for the first time on a on a national stage or a global stage actually, which was pretty fun. 
Well, the, the scouts clearly saw something they wanted to see. Um, you know, here at Baseball America, you you rank the number one prep talent before you're going into your senior year. Clearly, the scouts thought highly of you and, and thought about your pro prospects and thought there was a strong, you know, obviously you had a strong future. How did you feel about yourself, really? Did you, after playing with all those guys, did you feel like, hey, I can stick it and pro baseball, I, I can jump into pro ball after high school? Or were you still a little more focused on, hey, maybe I, I, I would rather go to college and also play quarterback? No, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to see, you know, how fast I could get to the big leagues, to be honest with you. I, of course, I loved football. I signed with LSU my senior year to play football, but also baseball. And a big reason why I signed with LSU was they were coming off a national championship baseball season with Skip Bertman, the legendary coach there. And they had great, they had a great, great team. Todd Walker was a good friend of mine. He was the, I think the MVP of the college world series was all American. I grew up with him and his family. Um, he was played second base at LSU. And anyways, uh, so I, I, I signed with LSU really to, to play both and to, and to be the shortstop at LSU my freshman year. And I, I had that, I, I was focused on both, to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to be the first ever guy to play quarterback and shortstop or third base in, in the big leagues in the NFL at the same time. I, Dion and Bo were always my heroes. And, and I wanted to do something that no one else had ever done before, and I thought I could do it. And and it's crazy to think that I could do it because, you know, it's just so hard as a quarterback. There's so much responsibility that you have on your shoulders, you know, when you're the quarterback at LSU, much less the NFL. So, I mean, it's so it's so darn difficult. You'd have to <clears throat> you'd have to be a Michael Vick type, I think, to or a Lamar Jackson type of guy that could just show up and 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 just beat everybody up with speed and athleticism uh, to be able to do it. I don't even know if they could do it because those guys weren't baseball players, you know, so it's a very difficult road. And I, I love both. I love both, man. And I still do. <laughs> well, you know, as your, your senior year starts to wrap up, draft talk starts. Um, and it, I, I would assume, I would assume starts to become clear that you are going to have to have to make a decision, have to possibly pick, dropping football um what is what is that like as you get closer to the draft and i assume scouts and everything starting to talk to your family you're starting to to put a number out there how are you weighing playing college quarterback versus the versus heading into pro ball yeah uh i had to really you know think through everything i we we got the right advisor jeff morad um who was with lee steinberg back in the day of course he was a famous, famous agent, and they were a famous duo. And he had Will Clark and Matt Williams and Manny Ramirez and a lot of guys. And Will Clark was always my one of my favorite players growing up. So I thought, you know, if he can advise Will, he can advise me. And so Todd Walker, who I mentioned earlier at LSU, we both decided on going with the same agent, and it was it was Jeff Morad. And so Morad helped me navigate all of this stuff. Um, you know, it was like, okay, where am I going to get picked? How can I, how can I get picked by a big market club or an owner that has deep pockets so that they can pay me enough to lure me away from football? Because, um, you know, there was guys drafted ahead of me in the draft. We positioned ourselves fifth overall to the Marlins because White Wayne Izinga, who owned Blockbuster and Virgin Records and the Dolphins, 
they had a new franchise and there was no one in front of me in the organization. And so we, we, we kind of pushed away the teams that were one, two, three, and four. Uh, the Mets were one, which could have been a, a real possibility to get paid, but Paul Wilson was consensus number one guy. He was the closest, I think, to the big leagues at the time. He was an All-American pitcher at Florida State, and he went number one overall and signed a $1.5 million deal. And then, you know, where was I going to go after that, really? And we tried to position myself to go fifth to the Marlins because not only did they were they a new franchise, I could get a the ladder fast, but they'd also pay me the money that it would that would take for me to to set football aside, and that's what what happened. It happened perfectly for me. You signed for a, a then record one point six million. How as a as an eighteen year old kid, how would you wrap your head around that number? Both in terms of just like coming into that kind of money. I mean, it's it's life changing money. And the expectations that the number puts on you, the, the baseball draft is unique in that it's not always about draft position that that your status is more bonus. You can be a 15th round pick, but you get a seven figure bonus. You're not a 15th round pick. You're a seven figure bonus guy. How did you handle the at, at that time when you when you put paper, uh, pen to paper, how did you handle the expectations that were put on your shoulder of record bonus guy? It was tough, to be honest with you, being you know, 18, 19 showing up and, you know, everybody kind of watching it. But, but I like that, you know, as a quarterback, everybody, you know, all eyes are on the quarterback, right? I mean, I, I was used to it and I'd had such an amazing high school career that, you know, it came with the territory, I think. And, and not saying that I was amazing. I just, you know, I had great people around me. The football thing was awesome. Baseball was awesome. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, the, I, I made a name for myself, I guess, and, and, you know, during my time in high school. And so when I showed up, I was kind of used to it. Of course, I never had any money. My parents were a preacher. My dad was a preacher and a coach. My mom, a housewife and amazing. They're still together and awesome people. But they had, you know, we didn't know what to do with a million bucks. We were, I tied to the church. I gave some money to the school to help their programs and you know, I went to work, man. I went to Florida. I went to spring training and I bought a nice car and I just had fun. <laughs> to be honest, with you, I'm like, I'm going to go make the most of it and see what happens. And and I missed football. Yeah, big time. My brothers were playing at the time in the offseason. I'd want to come back and watch them play. But um, very difficult in the beginning because, you know, everybody wanted me to hit 300 and hit 30 homers in the big leagues from day one. And I wanted to do that. And I saw how fast Alex was going up and, and, and how well he had played, um, you know, but he had played so much more baseball than me, you know? So it was hard for me to try to compare myself to him, but I thought I was an athlete from an athlete perspective, as good as, as he was or, or any of the big leaguers, you know, and I got to so, know you go ahead. Well, the, I was just the day you signed. So was, was a rod your, your barometer of, Hey, I, I could hang with that guy when I was playing for team USA. Was that, was that your expectation from the from the day you signed of I I think I'm going I'm going to head to the big leagues because I mean he got there abnormally fast very few guys get there was that your barometer Yeah it was uh you know and it's it's crazy because I uh, he's still buddy and love him to death he's an unbelievable player of course and you know I, yeah, I was. I, I was like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make these jumps like him. And I put a lot of pressure to hit a bunch of home runs and drive in a bunch of runs and play great defense. And, 
you know, it was, it's very difficult because I wasn't, I wasn't a one sport guy, you know, Alex actually played quarterback in high school, not his senior year, but living in Miami is a completely different baseball culture and what, and how he grew up. You know, I was, I didn't play much baseball. He was playing all the time. And, you know, that was a real big difference in between us probably, but yeah, that's what I wanted to be. I want, I'm like, I'm going to go up quick, like a rod and, and uh, try to get in the big leagues fast. And I had all those call-ups in my contract. I knew I'd have the opportunities, you know. And then when I got to the big leagues, you know, I was, you know, my first time. I'm looking around the locker room. And, yeah, there's a bunch of studs in there. Kevin Brown and Al Leiter and Sheffield and Devon White and Moises all. But I'm like, dude, I'm athletic as any of these guys. So I knew that I fit in from a, just a – from the from the eye test standpoint it's just i hadn't played that much baseball so i was putting a lot of added pressure on myself for for not playing much ball well in that in that regard how much how much did you know about what what pro ball was all about in that in that lifestyle you said you you hadn't played much baseball and then suddenly goes to you're playing every day how prepared were you for the lifestyle and the grind did you did you anticipate what you were going to go through or was there kind of a, a welcome to pro ball or, or a shock moment there because they they sent you out right when you signed you went out in 94 for your first uh, small taste yeah yeah i mean I, it was really the instructional league is what got me to be honest with you like i went out for that small few games and, and it did fine or whatever or whatever i you know i played probably eight games or something i don't even remember but it was the during football season that that fall they sent me to instructional league and uh you know it was during football season and everybody's you know all my buddies are off playing football and my brothers are playing and my dad's coaching i love i love being around the game and i'm in melbourne florida in instructional league and i'm like going you got to be kidding me you know i mean it was awful and you hate to say awful because a lot of kids would die for that opportunity, but man, I was missing football. And so that was kind of my wake up moment was instructional league. I mean, we're eating ham and cheese sandwiches in Vero beach, you know, at Dodger town and in the afternoon playing in front of zero people. And I'm like, God, I could be in tiger stadium. And, and I compare myself to, to Peyton Manning a lot growing up too. Cause me and him were one and two in football. And he was at Tennessee starting as a freshman uh or trying to get the job as a freshman and playing decent and so i'm like man i could be lighting it up in baton rouge at tiger stadium so it was very very difficult man very difficult that first year did you feel good about your game at least like how how you were stacking up to everyone after that that small you played uh four games in new york penn league 10 in the gulf coast league and instructs like heading into that off season did you at least feel like, hey, I am this $1.6 million guy. My talent stacks up. I'm going to kill it next year. Uh, I mean, I knew if I could if I could get comfortable, you know, I'd be fine. I just – I didn't play enough baseball that really to get a real taste, you know. I mean, I played some games. I know I can – I knew I could athletically – compete with anybody it was just you know me wanting to be there my head in the right spot and me not trying to do too much and you know get with the right hitting coach in spring training and get kind of get you know get get real knowledgeable about how to become a baseball player and you know I was just I think I've missed football so much that you know I or I watched football so much in the offseason that 
you know, I probably didn't think about it as much as I should, to be honest with you. I, I just kind of went through it, you know, went through the, the time and, and was geared up for spring training, knowing it was, knowing it was going to be a long year. And man, it, every year in the minor leagues was long. So do you think it was kind of fair to say that heading into spring training, possibly that you're either your heart wasn't fully in it or that you weren't as excited for it is more like, man, I just, I just can't, I just really need to get to the big leagues because this stinks. Well, the, yeah, I was in big league camp, which was really nice. Um, even that first year, um, probably didn't get many ABs. I don't even remember how it went, but, um, you know, spring training wasn't as bad as it is for a lot of minor leaders. Cause I get to go, I got to go to big league camp and which was nice. Um, but, uh, I mean, I just, I remember, I just remember trying to, you know, when you go from high school, hitting against high school pitching with an aluminum bat and then hitting against big league pitchers with a wood bat when you never used it was, was very difficult in the beginning too. And so I was trying to get a feel for like what type of bat I wanted, what model I wanted to use. I didn't even know what the models were, you know, on a wood bat. Now these kids get to play wood bat leagues when they're 15. So, you know, just, just learning like little things like that. Like what do I want to use a C271 or a P72 or a C243? I didn't even know what those things were, you know? So those were like the little things at the beginning that were, you know, I was asking, or I was asking Sheffield, well, what are you using? Or, you know, Terry Pendleton, what are you Asking use? Sheffield what he's using is kind of a loaded question at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, what are you using, bro? I mean, what, what bat should I use, you know? And A-Rod, I knew what he was using because he was telling me he's using a, a, T, a C-271 and Griffey, that's what he was using and all that. I knew what everybody was using just because I'd ask those questions like, what bat should I use? You know, I mean, that was it's so it's so small of an issue, but it's a huge deal because that's your livelihood. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Do you think being a big league camp and in being in that kind of essentially rush scenario of, hey, we need to get this guy up as quick as possible or getting into big league camp as opposed to a little more of an easing in for a guy who had never, apparently you never swung a wood bat before. Do you think that your maybe, maybe it wouldn't have made you the happiest not being in big league camp, but do you think maybe starting out in minor league camp, taking things a little slower, kind of slowing down your personal timeline would have helped your long-term outlook? It might've, but I wouldn't have changed it. Yeah. I, I didn't like that. The minor league, the, the minor league deal at all. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it would have helped and, and, you know, maybe it have made me grind a little bit more mentally. Maybe, I, I don't know. I, I grinded, man, even at the big league level, I was grinding and, um, you know, the, the, I mean, I, you know, you, you put me in a situation where we're taking infield or BP, you know, even as a 19 year old with the wood bat, I'd never swung. I mean, I can hit it is, you know, I can hit with Sheffield and all of them, D, you know, in BP, you know, I mean, I, I, a lot of power, you know, my arm strengths and my glove was great. Like, you know, I could, I could play the part, you know, but then when you get in the games and you hadn't seen 95 and sink and breaking pitches and, you know, two Oh breaking pitches. And so you just not used to it, you know? So that was a big, that was a big deal. And, and I got to see it real quick. Cause I mean, 
you know, you go on the road and play Glavin or Smoltz or Avery or Maddox or whatever, the Braves, and they were the Dodgers were really good. Darren Dryford, I remember facing him early that first spring. I mean, those guys were those guys were really accomplished players in the big leagues, and I was trying to figure out how to, you know, what bat to use, you know, and, and how to hit with a wood and had a lot of people telling me how to try to hit and all that. So it was very interesting for sure. Just a, a crash course of information. Yeah. Uh, you you leave the the comfort of, of big league camp surrounded by, you know, multi-year professionals, big league guys. You head to you, – you split your first full season between Kane County and Elmira in the, in the New York Penn League in short season. Yeah. Who'd you who'd you lean on to to learn how to be a professional your first full year? Um, it's kind of in the era. I don't want to date you. It's kind of in the era before there there's texting and cell phones easy to keep in communication with people. Who who mentored you? What did you do to mentally get yourself through that season as far as learning how to be a professional both with your game on the field and just how to conduct yourself as an adult off the field? Because in college you have coaches and and seniors to kind of ride herd on you in yeah. that situation you're you know you're you're you're, you're supposed own. to be professional you're out on your own <laughs> yeah and everybody's wanting me to fail probably i mean even in the organization i mean when in your minor leagues now i got a i had great friends in the organization but you know everybody's like who you know who's this guy who does he think he is he drives a nice car whatever i'm sure they had opinions and and didn't want me to to do well or they were fine with me struggling but you know, I really leaned on my agent, Jeff Morad, to be honest with you, and my dad uh, and my high school baseball coach. And those were – that was like the team that we had built, right? And so, you know, I would I would call them probably more than anybody. Um, there was there was a hitting coach that we had uh, in the organization, um, Jack Maloof, who was a roving coordinator and he was a left-hand hitter. So he had nothing to do. You know, he wasn't like my type of hitter, but, uh, I got to be really close to him. He's a Christian guy, good guy. And like, I just, I liked him for some reason. And, and so, you know, I would, I would talk with him as much as I could, but, you know, there wasn't really anybody there, um, that I could say was my, you know, was, was there for me, you know, but, but, you know, it's a minor league, you know, you know, you don't have your own coach, you everybody kind of trying to get through it, you know, and we were a new organization. So, you know, there was just, there was a lot going on, but uh, a lot of nothing going on, you know, as well. If you, if you look at your stat line in 95, I mean, it's, it's pretty fair to say that you struggled. Uh, you were over a year younger than the average age for both the leagues you played in. Were there kind of ebbs and flows about how you felt about yourself and baseball in your and your future? Were you still, you know, feeling optimistic? Were there games where you'd homer or make a nice play and think, you know, I'm actually going to be a dude? Or was it more just negative on your psyche? Well, it was definitely negative because once you get in a hole, you're trying to do a ton to get out of it. Like, my personality is so... Like, I don't know, I'm trying to compare it to someone like maybe Brett Favre, like a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. And, you know, I was, you know, if I struck out twice, 
I wasn't trying to get the bat on the ball the third time. I was trying to go deep to make up for the first two, you know, and it's like that's not how you approach the game. And so I approached the game like that as a youngster. I'm like, I'm going to – because I felt like I could hit a home run every at bat, which was crazy probably too. But I was swinging for the fences. I'm like, I'm going to show everybody here that ain't nobody – can touch me, you know, so I would, I would do that. And then I would get, then I, you know, I'd start in the hole every day. It seemed like there wasn't a lot of, I wasn't putting the bat on the ball like I should have. And I was, I was playing good defense. Um, and you know, that's what, that's what my, my dad and my high school coach was always preaching to me. Like, um, don't take, don't take any of that batting stuff into the field, because if you can, if you can hit 250 one day or 280 or 260 or 240 doesn't matter if you're a gold glover man you'll play for a long time so play great defense so i was able to separate the two and i think that was what gave me a little comfortability it's like when i started in the in 1998 in the big leagues uh opening day and you'll probably get to this but jim leland you know, named me the starter in 98, and he goes, you know what, your, your bat probably is not ready for the big leagues, but your defense, man, you're the greatest defensive third baseman I've ever seen. So he gave me a lot of credit, you know, or, or he gave me confidence, you know, that I could play at that level. And so, anyways, you know, there's two parts to baseball. It's offense and defense. You know, you got to play both. I just was way behind offensively because I was trying to do too much and my approach wasn't, you know, let's get knocks. And my approach was let's, you know, hit 50 homers, you know, and try to get to the big leagues. And I was pushing myself in the wrong in the wrong direction. Well, and and when you're doing that, when you're kind of just in the skids offensively, um, you know, everyone's a pro, but you're you're the bonus guy. You're you're the richest guy on the team until you get to the big leagues. You know how at, at 19, 20 years old, how do you navigate a clubhouse with with possibly some older guys? I believe you played with an indie ball guy, Kevin Millar. How do you navigate? You know, a, a clubhouse with some older guys, and you're you've got this weight of expectation, your own expectation on your shoulders of, of how good you should be playing what you should be doing, you know, you said yourself that your expectations for yourself were hitting a home run every at bat. You know, how, how do you navigate a clubhouse like that, especially in a new organization where everyone is trying to carve out a role? Yeah, it, very difficult. I mean, I, I was like, I'm a real personable guy. Like, I mean, like I have all, a lot of those guys that I play with are still my buddies. Like, I mean, I just, I like to have a fun time, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I didn't take anything too serious, which is, probably good thing uh, looking back um, Millar was my roommate for a couple of years in the minor leagues and he was much older and you know he's he's a really fun guy too funny guy and so you know I always just made great friends uh, along the way and so we just had fun man it's a minor leagues it's like you know it is kind of getting the bus ride six hours spend three or four days there play games i mean you just we were always cutting up you know and so that was probably a strength of mine was just not letting it weigh heavy on me you know like anything even the struggles i'm like you know what i'm gonna pick this thing up here soon and when i do you know i'm gonna have more fun with it but let's play good defense learn how to hit and joke with your teammates and have fun i mean i just i just re- tried to relax when, when it wasn't the games and have fun with them and uh so navigating the clubhouse wasn't 
wasn't too difficult. No one, you know, was like, no one really ever dogged me, you know, or anything like that, being young and bonus baby and all that. They would, they'd talk a little bit about the 1.6. That would come up, I remember. Um, it's funny because I hadn't even thought about that in a long time. But other than that, man, it was, you know, we were all out there grinding. I mean, they're they're in they're in the same position I was in. They were in a ball, <laughs> you know. It's like they nothing was guaranteed to anybody. Well, you mentioned a six hour bus ride, and you know the '90s were kind of the beginning of the modern era of minor league baseball. You start getting new stadiums across the country. I'm I'm a I live in San Antonio. It's about when Wolf Stadium came around, but. I would imagine that you were still playing in a lot of dumps in front of not a lot of people, especially when, you know, you can sit back and think about playing an Alex box over at, over at LSU. How, how does that, you know, how did that affect your, just your morale considering the alternative, not just who you're playing from, but considering, you know, you could close your eyes and imagine Tiger stadium or, or Alex box stadium. And that was that was probably the toughest thing to me was when I was in winter ball or instructional league, like I went to Hawaii and played winter ball and they sent like four of the prospects over there. It was like me, Nate Rollison, Mark Kotze and Jaime Jones represented the Marlins. Ichiro was in the league coming from Japan, like it was Japan, Japanese players and American players. And I was so far away from home. I remember Monday night football would come on at like two in the afternoon. I'm like, what, the, what is this? You know, I'm missing Monday night football for this, you know, for a winter ball taking BP or something. I mean, I, I don't know. I just frustrate. So I was like, that was, that was a little frustrating. I want to always wanted, And then my brother Abram was a receiver at LSU and he was all SEC as a freshman. And, you know, he's playing in front of 90,000, a hundred thousand, whatever it was back then the stadiums changed so much, but, Anyways, I watching him play and, you know, I've missed football a lot. You know, it was something I always and, and thought about playing for Skip Bergman, like you mentioned at Alex Box. I mean, that would have been fun, too, because they won championships when I was in the minor leagues. They won. They won it again. And I would have been a part of that. I think the. The ninety the ninety four signing class on the baseball side at LSU was one of the best it ever had too. I mean, it was they were we would have been loaded. They were loaded. They won the national championship, but like four or five of us went to the minor leagues. It could have been first second rounders to play at LSU too. So you know, in August of that first year, you're struggling offensively. Um, you're struggling dealing with you know those bad stadiums, bad crowds that kind of environment, did you have any thoughts or, or vocally say to anyone that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe I should head to to summer to, to LSU. Maybe I should go take snaps. Not the first two years. I wanted to really give it a, an opportunity. And I knew I'd chosen baseball. I had to stick with it. Um, so I just, I gave it, I, I tried to give it as much of an opportunity as possible. After like year three is when I started going, man, I miss football. I, I, I you know, I missed it the whole time, but I, but I started thinking football because after I think, uh, golly, I guess it would have been 90, 96, I was really wanting to go back and play football uh, with my brother, and we were trying to get out of my minor league contract. It had a no football clause in it, and we went to Hazinga and Dave Dombrowski, who was the GM, legendary GM. Anyways, we went to him and tried to get out of it. 
and go back and play a little football, but he, they weren't going to have it. Um, they wanted me to ride it out. And so I, I did, you know, I kept playing baseball and luckily in 97, I had a decent year in double A. I didn't hit the ball. I mean, I, my average wasn't good, but you know, I, I had a, a bunch of home runs and anyways, played great defense. I think I was minor league defensive player of the year. So, I mean, I was playing great defense. I just, you know, I'd still struggling with striking out and trying to do too much offensively. Yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. Your your slash line, your batting average, everything is pretty similar. Except the difference between your first year in pro ball is is you do start hitting the ball over the fence. Uh, yeah. you, I think you, you top twenty home runs both years. What what kind of attributes to that was that was that learning was that approach was that just just getting stronger. Yeah, just uh, growing up and just seeing a little bit more and hitting the ball, you know, hitting the ball a little more. You know, every time I hit it, it was going somewhere. It's just whether or not I was going to hit it. You know, I was like Pete Incavilia or Rob Deer, you know, I felt like. So I was like, you know, I, I could hit the ball a mile, but I could, you know, I was just, it was always, you know, if I put the ball, if I hit the ball, it was going to do some, usually it was going to be good. But if I didn't hit the ball, you know, strike it out and go and sit on the bench. You know I mean? It was, I was all or nothing. And like I said, it's just my approach was, you know, my approach wasn't great really ever, you know, um, in the minor leagues. And a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with just probably immaturity and age and all that and wanting to do too much, you know. It's like you got to let the game come to you. And, and, I, and I was wanting to go just wreck shop, you know. And so it's like, what was I thinking? You know, as I look back, I've got a more of a patient personality now than I did then. I think it would have been completely different, you know. Well, in 96, you get that, that first call up, uh, which I think you'd mentioned was a, was a clause in your contract. Mm-hmm. but what's you know what's the call like walk me through the call oh uh, well i mean they you know i had it in my contract so i knew i was going up at the end of the year in 96 so i wasn't i was just ready for the minor league season to get over so i could get on you know catch the plane and i think go to houston or something i think in my first my first uh was it houston or montreal i forget but um i i uh I'm trying to think where it was when I first got called up. And then my, that might have been 95, to be honest with you. I think I got a call up in 95, and, uh, and I, but I didn't have any at-bats. So okay, I, that's that's where I – okay, so 95 yeah. then you get your, your first – I got 95, I got called up, and it was in Houston in September. And it was like the last couple of weeks with the team, three weeks, and I traveled with them. But I didn't get any at-bats. They just wanted me to be around it, you know. And everybody was always so nice. I mean, Renee Latchman was awesome. Uh, you know, Sheffield and all those guys. I mean, they were so awesome. Anyways, I, so just being around it was 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 fascinating because I really got to to be around it. And um, then in '96, got called up. I think it was in Montreal. I got to play. Um, I got. I think I got a hit against the Braves in '96. My first hit uh, was at home. Anyways, I, you know, I can't remember all that stuff, but the first, my first big league hit was against the Braves at home. I do know that. So that was in '96, and heading so after that off, you know, that off season, heading into that next spring training, did you, you you'd been around the big leagues, you'd seen what that was about, you'd seen what minor league ball was like. You had two seasons under your belt. You were about to head to Double A. 
How'd you feel about your future as a baseball player? You'd already accomplished the, you, you've got the big league hit, you've got the big league stat line. Was there still, a, you know, a part of you that says, hey, I'm, I'm going to make this or I want this? Or was it, I just need to write out this contract because I, I'd feel better on the football field? No, you know, I didn't know how football was going to be either. I, I was just kind of trying to figure figure out the best way to handle the situation because I knew I was going to be there for a couple more years um, at least. And so I know, you know, even if I want to go play football, I'm either going to have to buy this, my contract out, which I wouldn't be able to do, or um, just just try to get better and just grind, you know. And I was so I was like, I'm going to just grind and play play as much you know play, play as well as i can you know and in 97 and we got, i got lucky because we won the whole world series and i was kind of a part of some of that but you know um it was it, crazy times was just going through the minors man i was just going through the minors trying to trying to trying to you know try to make it it was uh it, but it was fun i mean a lot of it was fun it just i didn't like the bus rides and all that so especially with how you kind of you, you get called up at the end of end of each year you see what life is like i mean you saw the the pinnacle of major league baseball and getting to a world series then in 98 you opening day you're starting for the defending world series champions and then it's back down to double a triple a for a year your sla- your slash lines pretty similar to to your previous years what for you made that, you know, why, why was that the year? Why did you decide to, to wrap it up in that year? Was it you'd, you'd accomplished what you thought you, you know, you'd accomplished enough and you were done playing baseball or was there just no enjoyment in it or what kind of made the decision for you? Yeah. And 90, you know, 98, I started opening day and then I got hurt, uh, on a tag play and then, they sent me to AAA at the end of the year in Charlotte, and I just, I, I just could, I, I, I don't know. I was, wasn't into it. I hated it. I uh, didn't want to be in the AAA. I, you know, I struggled the first couple weeks, and then I was like, I, oh, dude, this is the end of the year. I'm like, dude, get me out of here. And so I was just ready to cross over and try to play football. And what happened was. Um, Hazinga sold the team to John Henry at the time, who now owns the Red Sox, and John uh, and Dombrowski said that they would let me out of my contract. And I knew once Hazinga sold it that I that I'd have a chance to get out. And I liked Wayne Hazinga. I just uh, Henry, I was not Henry's guy. And so Henry, Henry's like, yeah, you can do it. Pay for you know next year's AAA salary, which was the fifth year of my no football clause. I had gone four years now. Uh, playing baseball um so i had to buy out the fifth year and they were going to start me in triple a again so i knew that i wasn't going to start in the big leagues they had told me they're going to start me out in triple a but i'd come to big league camp and all that so anyways i was just like let me i don't want to be in charlotte i don't want to be in triple a i want to go play at lsu with my brother and go back home to louisiana and do this thing so that's what i just said you know and i didn't know if i'd ever come back to baseball i just said let me out of my contract so I can go play football. And I was just going to plan on going to LSU and doing it a year and seeing what happened. And then we we struggled at LSU. Our coach got fired in 99, and then that's when Saban came in in 2000, and we started doing well. So when you, when you left the Marlins, that wasn't retirement per se. 
in in your mind that wasn't a a certain retirement no no i i was just going to go give football a real chance you know i really i wanted to go back and play football and wanted to see what i could do and but it wasn't it wasn't baseball's over forever necessarily you know hopefully i was in my mind i was like i'm gonna go i'm gonna i want to go get drafted in the nfl and play in the nfl but um so i went that direction but at the same time i was like you know if it doesn't go well i'm i might have to come back and try try the triple a thing again or where wherever you know i didn't know how'd you feel about baseball on that not retirement day, but on the day you walked away, the day you enrolled oh, in LSU. I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. I was so happy I was at LSU. And, you know, I thought we had worked hard in the minor leagues, so I got to LSU and went through training camp and weight training and running and all that in the summer in Louisiana. Man, it was so tough. But I, I enjoyed it because it was I was pushing myself and I was getting a chance to do – the other and I you know I was had my sight set on being the LSU quarterback and man there's a lot that come with that man so it was that was a fun time even though it was tough what'd you take from your baseball experience into LSU and into that quarterback battle was there anything about pro ball that you think helped yeah oh yeah it just the, the every day you got to bring it every day you know in baseball there's there's not many off days so you know consistency as a young as a young player, uh, especially on football, you know, is, is very difficult. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the attention to detail. And as a quarterback, I think having played baseball and teeing it up every day, you know, on the baseball field, man, I came to practice every day or the film room or whatever. Like, you know, I had, I had already done pro, you know, and, and was, had spent a lot of time at the field and all that. I'd already, I'd already done that. So it wasn't new to me. So I think that there was a lot of carryover there and just consistent consistency, you know, it's like, you know, taking ground balls and throwing them across the diamond. I mean, you got to make a good throw every day or you, you know, or you, you have, you making errors, you know? And so taking that over to football and just trying to, trying to be as consistent every day as I could was a big deal. You went, you mentioned you went into a weird situation with, um, with a young franchise and pro ball is pretty unique situation in terms of, you know, no one in front of you. You also mentioned you went into a less than ideal situation at LSU with coaching turnover, uh, Saban coming in, that guy's careers turned out all right. Um, but with all that turmoil and everything, was there ever a moment that you missed baseball while you were playing football at LSU? No, no, not, never. I mean, I was only at LSU for a blink of an eye two years, and it was so, it was so serious that I didn't have a chance. You know, I, I really, I was thinking, the only thing I was thinking about was starting, getting the starting job and playing and trying to play well. And, man, that first year was a super struggle, like I said, and coach got fired. Uh, and then Saban came in with Jimbo Fisher and – change the culture of the whole school, you know, and it's forever changed. I mean, really what he did, but I was the, you know, the first quarterback there was Saban and I won the job, you know, that in 99 when Donardo was there before Saban, like the third game of the season, you know, and, and pretty much played most of the, the time there for two years. Well, and then um, post LSU, you be, you're you're an NFL six round pick, so you're one of the the few athletes who's been drafted in both MLB and NFL draft and signed contracts for both. 
quick trivia question. Do you know the other no- notable quarterback in your in the sixth round of your draft? Sixth round of my draft. 2001. Mm-hmm. Of my draft? Of your draft. Not Well, Brady was before me. That would be yeah. That would be Heisman Trophy runner-up, national champion, current head coach at UCF, Josh Heupel, to the Dolphins at 177th uh, yeah. overall. Yeah, yeah, I know Heupel. You're right. You're right. Um, when I think of six rounders, I think of Brady and and Matt Hasselbeck. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they had a little more success than than Heupel. But I, I I do like Heupel, and he was my buddy at the combine, all that hate. But yeah. Um, I, I did. I, I completely forgot about him. Now I remember, you know, Florida State and Winky, who won the Heisman, played against Hypo and them in the in the national championship that year. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think that year. Mm-hmm. And Vic was in my draft, but yeah, Bre- Winky the year before had beat my beloved Virginia Tech Hokies in the national championship. <laughs> I will, I will forever uh, hate Chris Winky with the, the fire of a thousand suns. But, um, so you, but you head in the NFL, you, you head in as a, a six round pick, a guy, you know, struggling to, to stay on a roster. It's a different, it's a much different thing than being the fifth overall pick in the MLB draft, the bonus baby with, with call up clauses in his contract. But it's also the NFL is a different lifestyle than minor league baseball. I've got to ask who has the better life, the MLB first rounder in 1994 or the NFL sixth rounder in 2001. Who's living a better life. Who's happier. Um, that's a great quote. I think the probably the baseball player. Cause I was out on the field, you know, you want as an athlete, you want to be on the field. Like, you know, you, you hate watching practice or getting, getting limited reps. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that I have been I was picked high and low and and you know so I can I can relate to so many different athletes and and been in two sports and all that and I use that a lot, um, you know, in different situations and talking on the radio and with athletes that are are going through some of this stuff whether they're for for or, you know early or late but I think you know being the first rounder, being you know, getting those reps, getting being in the game, that's a big deal. And, you know, I spent three years in Cleveland. I was drafted by Seattle, uh, was put on practice squad. You know, I, I bounced around a little bit, um, and I was a backup. You know, you just want to play in the games. And it, when you and you get so frustrated, and I've got that, that my personality, going back to that non-patient personality that, that showed its face in baseball, man, it was in football. I'm like, dude. It drove me crazy going and watching film all day and not being able to utilize my my athletic ability, you know, and what I felt like I could do. And, you know, it was because I was a six-rounder, you're not going to get that many opportunities unless there's injuries or something happens or you just play in preseason. And we were a new franchise in Cleveland when I got, when I got picked up by the Browns for three years. And Tim Couch, my good buddy, started, and uh, I packed him up, you know. So that was that kind of was the deal. And, um, very, but very, very boring, (laughs) very boring, but I, I, you know, I enjoyed my time playing at LSU. Um, and I wish I was still playing. So that, I mean, I love football. I just, it's boring when you don't play. Well, let's flash forward, um, you know, 10 or so years after your, your football career ended on your baseball America player page, which you can find over at baseballamerica.com. 
Josh, you're listed as a, a right-handed pitcher. <laughs> Can you just walk me through the experience of, of being on the next, next knuckler? You're the, you're the first reality TV star interviewed in this podcast series. <laughs> uh, QB's galore in that series. You, your brother, Flutie, David Green, Perilou, little SEC reunion, little LSU reunion. Walk me through that experience. Yeah, well, I got called by the Major League Baseball Network the year that uh, R.A. Dickey won the Cy Young, uh, and they wanted to put together a, a reality competition show like the big break on the Golf Channel and bring in a bunch of old quarterbacks. And I didn't know how many were going to be there, and uh, I think there were only six that ended up uh, doing it. But uh, teaching all them how to teaching all of us how to throw a knuckleball, and then we'd have a reality competition show that you know we would spend two weeks in Vero Beach and we would go at it and there would be a winner and they'd teach us how to throw the knuckleball and because he was the first ever Cy Young R.A. Dickey was first ever Cy Young award winner to win that win the Cy Young through a knuckleball they thought it would be a cool reality show they thought it up and um Charlie Huff was involved. Tim Wakefield was involved. Of course, Kevin Millar was involved. My roommate from the minor league, still one of my best buds, and yeah, he works for the network, Major League Baseball Network. So, uh, yeah, we all went down there, and I said, yeah, I'll do it, man. That'd be a lot of fun. I mean, we always, I always threw knuckleballs uh, and stuff, you know, in the outfield when we were shagging, and uh, you know, none of the other guys had played baseball. They were just football guys. Um, Flutie loves playing like men's league stuff and Paraloo was a great high school player and was drafted, but none of them played big league baseball. So I was like, man, I'm going to wear these guys out if I can throw this knuckleball. And they taught me how to throw it and I ended up winning the reality show or whatever. And, and the Arizona Diamondbacks gave me a, a big league spring training invite. And man, I, I ended up pitching in three spring training games against the Giants in all three outings. And I pitched on, I think, two and two-thirds innings or something in three spring training games. And I was throwing the knuckleball, man, and that was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. I mean, it was fun, but it was I was nervous. And, and uh, anyways, throwing the knuckleball, it was interesting. No desire to, uh, after the D-backs decided that, that you weren't going to make the big league roster, no desire to, to head to the Atlantic League or <laughs> pitch pitch some indie ball? Well, see, what happened was there's two things happened. They they said that they were going to send me to Mobile if I if I was going to do anything, which was double, I guess, the Southern League. But they said that they were going to have to get my rights from the Marlins because the Marlins had called and said, I know he's in spring training with y'all. I know he won the reality show and y'all are doing this for marketing and all this stuff, but, but he's, you know, he's our guy or, you know, he's on a list here that we have, you know, he's, he's a Marlin. So I was playing with the Diamondbacks as a Marlin, which was weird because they did the Marlin, the Diamondbacks didn't know it, that I was still Marlin property. And so I remember them calling me and Kirk Gibson called me and goes, you're still a Marlin. I'm like, what? I, I mean, I didn't even think about that. You know, I was so far removed from it. I thought I'd probably fallen off that list, <laughs> but I was still on it. So and the Marlins were like, they wanted the Diamondbacks to send them 10,000 bucks or something like that. Uh, and the Diamondbacks were like, man, this is, you know, this was a fun deal, but you know, you, are you serious about throwing the knuckleball? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. 
That might have been one of those Marlin sell-off tanking years. They could have used you for like 150 <laughs> innings, just run you out there when they're selling everyone off. I would have tried, man. I'd have thrown the 87 mile hour fastball though. If 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 I'd have gone, you know, 2030 on throwing knuckleballs for for balls, you know, I'd had I'd had to I'd had to revert to throwing straight straight fastballs that would probably get crushed. You might have put yourself in physical danger doing that <laughs> to major league hitters. Did you were there any like big differences that you noticed between nineties big league camp and twenty thirteen big league camp? Way bit way different. Um it's just the the way that people trained and the nutrition part of it and um the the position specific stuff. Like we didn't have you know, everybody just went in the locker room, went in the weight room, just lifted. You know, you just went and got after it and did all the squats and all that stuff. Like, all the baseball stuff is a lot alike, but, you know, just the the modern technology, I think, is so much different. Um, you know, the stuff that they wanted you to eat, drink, uh, how to lift them. I mean, the Arizona Diamondbacks are cutting edge when it comes to – uh, strength and conditioning, nutrition and technology. And so it was like cool to see all the new stuff that, that goes on. I mean, even with, you know, video footage and all kinds of different things, um, that you can learn from, we didn't have any of that. You know, I didn't, I've never watched myself on film hit, you know, when I was in the big leagues and now you can go back and watch all that. Like, it's almost like watching football film, you know, there's so much, so much of that going on. It's pretty cool. Well, in retrospect of your, you know, your career before signing, if you could, with with all your experiences, both, you know, minor league baseball, college football, pro football, 2013 knuckleballing, uh, if you could go sit yourself down before signing and, and give a talk, you know, what would, what would you have told yourself? And in, in 1994 specifically, was there a better way to prepare yourself for pro ball? Um, I would have, I would say, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and it's like, I've now that I've seen so much, like, you know, in the minor leagues, I, I played against David Ortiz or Big Poppy, buddy of mine, Tory Hunter, same thing. Like those guys, they hit 200. They hit, you know, Tory Hunter hit 205 and then hit 220, then hit 240, then he hit 320. Like it just, you know, you got to get at bats. You got to learn. You got to stay patient. Like I would have, I would say, listen, be, be more mature about your approach, um, at the plate. Um, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Learn how to be a hitter and don't try to do too much. You know, I tried to do way, way too much. And I think now that I look back on it, I think I I could go and not try to do too try try to do too much. You know, I had enough power to all fields that, you know, I could I could let the game come to me, not me go out and have to hit it five hundred and fifty feet. You know what I'm saying? And I just that would be the diff that would be the the difference in it and in, in, in football too at LSU the first year I wanted to I wanted to do too much right out the gate it's like get it to the right guy it's like how did Joe Burrow win the Heisman Trophy this year he got it to the right guy and he was on time and accurate and never tried to do too much from the beginning to the end no game was too big for him 
he didn't, you know, he wasn't trying to be Superman. And then at the end of the day, look what he did, you know, and, and he just take what the game gives you. And that's what I would, I would tell young players is, Hey, you're an athlete, you know, big, strong, fast, whatever, take what the game gives you. Don't try to do too much and you'll end up having way more success than trying to force the issue. Uh, and I was so athletic. I just tried to force the issue. I think. Well, in that same vein of, of telling young players, you've had such a unique professional experience in, in two sports and also mixing college football there, um, that the, you've had an experience to a chance to give advice and mentor young guys. I would imagine that started with your younger brother. You yep. were able you were able to mentor him as he as he headed into yep. USC. How how did you kind of prep him, or what did you take from your experience um, to to your brother, who I believe started for two years for uh, for USC. Yeah, he's he's ten years younger than me, and and we're really close. Um, he was a great athlete too. Um, not he wasn't a run around guy as much as I was, um, but he was he was a pocket passer, accurate, and that's what I told him is you know get it to the right guy, understand you know understand understand the game as much as you can. He played at SC, man. They were they were loaded. They had some good teams. He won two Rose Bowls. I mean, he was a part of national championship teams. Uh MVP of the Rose Bowl. I mean, he, they had great teams. I was I was trying to survive at LSU and he had he had it they had it going at USC under Pete Carroll when he was there. So, much different scenario, you know, but but he was he never tried to do too much and I and I told him that. I said, "Man, best thing you can do as a quarterback is get it to the right guy and and let them do you know do the work because that's what they're paid to do running back and receivers and tight ends and all that like get it to the right guy so that I was you know something that I was able to pass down to him but we watched a lot of football together watched a lot of film and you know I've got nephew now that's playing I've got twin boys that are playing one's a quarterback I mean I, I work I, I train quarterbacks I mean that's you know I trained the quarterback at, at my high school this year he's going to Baylor I mean so anyways I, I do a lot of QB training and I think that's I enjoy the football thing way more than the baseball thing at this age for that's for sure I enjoy watching football being around football it's just it's it's just an amazing sport but baseball gave me so much um, it's unbelievable and you know I've got so many great friends in the sport. Well, you're one of the few guys around who can speak on both professionally. And I think in the last 10 years, especially, there's been very some some high profile football, baseball guys, especially especially quarterbacks um, with I think Kyler probably being the the most notable as a guy who who did both to the extreme signed a pro baseball contract obviously went to, you know, went to go play in the NFL. You know, there's Jameis, there's Russell Wilson, who you mentioned. There's also guys who don't play quarterback. I believe LSU, Maurice Hampton yeah. um, was on was on this year's football team, is going to be on this year's baseball team. Have you had the chance to speak to any of the guys like that and, and yeah. mentor them or give advice or any way? Or in, in what kind of do you do you say to guys who are making that choice either – out of high school or out of college of playing quarterback or playing baseball or trying to do both? Yeah. Um, my nephew's actually playing at Allen right now. He'll be a senior quarterback this year. And he Kyler the house Mike. that Kyler built. Yeah. The house that Kyler built. He's going to be there. He transferred in, but I'm going to see him tonight actually. But, um, 
you know, my nephew's not a two sport guy; he's just a football guy. But I've I've had conversations. I've been on the radio with Kyler and Jameis, and do, doing different little shows and different things over the years. And of course, a lot of people have asked, you know, the same thing. I mean, my advice to them is, you know, as you're young, you know, you're young, like like the kid at Evangel that's going to Baylor, that that's a quarterback shortstop. He was on the Under Armour All American Baseball team. You know, he's a he's a stud baseball guy. And I've been helping him with his recruiting process, and and you know he wants to do both and in college. And I said you you should you should go to college and try to do both as long as you can until one, you know, till one really outshines the other in your mind. And and I told Jameis Winston, I said man, way back in the day, I said. I said, well, you know, when you look, wake up and look at the mirror, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a football player? Do you want to go to the, or do you want to go to the field and take BP and shag balls, or do you want to go watch film and 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 play once a week and do the football thing? And so I think that's really you're you're going to only be at your best. And and Kyler Murray, he wanted to go play football. He wanted to show the world he could do it, and that was what he enjoyed most. And that's why he ended up going, and he got paid a lot to do it, but. Um, it's, it's like, what do you want to wake up doing, you know? And that's when you're going to be your best. It's not when you got to go do something. It's when you want to go do something. That's when you're going to be at your best. And I wanted to get up and go play football. Um, it's tough in the, in the NFL when you're not starting or playing, but, um, you know, I, I felt comfortable there and, and, you know, and anyways, I think that's what Jameis and, and Kyler both decided too is that football is something that they really wanted to do and they didn't have to do it uh but they wanted to do it the most and so i think that's why they went that direction i think it's kind of interesting and telling that you the example you used wasn't would you rather you know be playing on monday night football in front of you know thousands of fans or playing sunday night baseball it was do you want to go to the field and hit bp or do you want to watch film the stuff that's you know, 95% of the sport other, you know, other than the actual game, you know, kind of final thing for you. Do you think that there's been college quarterbacks who also had success in baseball, Kyler being the most recent and, and one of the biggest successes? Do you ever, do you think there will ever be a two sport quarterback? Uh, you mentioned earlier, it'd have to be like a, a Vic or Lamar Jackson, but in your gut, do you think there's ever going to be a guy who's playing baseball and football and playing quarterback? There might be someone do it, but I don't know if they could do I don't know. I don't think there'll ever be a guy do it with any longevity. So, you know, Kyler Murray might get invited to spring training one day and he might go play and it might last a year or six months or two months or a week or, you know, I just don't think you can do it for an extended time. Like someone might end up doing it like just doing it once but not for five years you know i just don't think anybody could can do that because on the football side of things there the difference between a uh you know bledsoe and brady or whoever you want to call it the first and second string is so little like if tim couch goes down i can go do what he does you know in cleveland and so but he was picked higher. He's going to get the opportunity. He's a great player. In college, he was unreal, you know, first pick. But if you're not there year-round, there is no way that he can beat me out, If you know, if he's not there. He, you got to be present 
for the entire off season for training for conditioning for learning the concepts understanding your receivers how they run routes the linemen camaraderie team like football is so team oriented that if you're not there as a quarterback you're you're not going to be the 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 guy that takes the snaps just no way it's just too it's too team organ or you know it's too too much of a team sport so you know in baseball you you if you're an athlete athlete like Dion or Bo and just absolutely can get on base or hit on runs or hit 300 or 290 you can go do it football's to, to, so different it's so team oriented I don't know how anybody could do the, both of them and uh, and be away from football. So in present day, do you think there's another scenario where there will be, you know, you could see a path for another Dion or Bo or, or Brian Jordan who's playing both sports, but as a running back or a DB and not a quarterback? Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I could see that for sure. I just, I don't know how a quarterback could do it with any longevity to doing both. I, I think he could do it potentially one time, you know, um, like, a, like I said, like Kyler, I think, you know, he's got, he's getting now he's got, we know he can play football. We know he can be productive, you know, you know, but he still would have to go through the Meyer leagues. And that's, you know, unless they just put him up in the big leagues and do it for marketing, you know, for just a stint, you know, a month or something in September, but they wouldn't do that in September because that's when football season is and he's not going to miss four starts. So, I mean, I think it's, it'd have to happen in the middle of the year and early in the year. And that's when everybody's trying to win ball games and trying to win a pennant and all that. So it, I just don't know how you could do it. I, I really don't. I mean, you know, they're not going to let the quarterback miss, miss games in the NFL. There's just no way, you know, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. It's not my area of expertise, but I, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, as a Cowboys fan, I'd almost be, I'd be pissed if Dak Prescott was trying to play baseball. <laughs> yeah, honestly i mean you kind of quarterback has to be such a focal point of the i mean they they have to be the chief you're the ceo of the whole organization and you're over you're not even there you know it just can't happen mm-hmm. just can't i agree happen. i mean it, it could happen maybe for one game or something or one week but could you imagine for four years five years like a career where dak prescott doesn't show up till october i mean you know, or Lamar Jackson or whoever. I mean, those guys could probably can't hit a baseball if you put it on a tee. You know, I mean, it's a baseball so hard too. You know, I mean, I, I've lived it, and it. You know, it's it's uh, both sports are are super serious at that level. Well, Josh, you give me a lot of your time today. I'm going to leave you with one more, and it's kind of it's an inter- It's a question that I think applies to athletes of any stature. I think one of the the hardest things to replace after after finishing your sport, whether you stop playing sports in high school or college or professionally, is the the thing you miss the most. Aside from I think you know um, relationships with your teammates and the, and the clubhouse and everything, is just the competitive itch. I think athletes are athletes because they enjoy to compete. What do you do day in and day out to scratch that competitive itch? <laughs> Man, I do a lot of golf, and I'm a I'm an entrepreneur, so. I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, put deals together, broker deals. I mean, I am in a lot of different industries, but I, I love to play golf, man. And I don't play enough of it. I probably play two or three times a month. I travel a lot, which I really enjoy. Um, 
you know, I mean, I have three brothers and I've got two, I've got twin boys. I've got nephews. I mean, we're always playing horse or something. I mean, this weekend, that's what we were doing down in Florida was playing, uh, was playing a lot of basketball, but I, I love, um, I love to play golf brother. I, I agree, which also means I think I love to hate myself because that's what <laughs> golf, that's what golf makes that's me do to myself, but I can't quit it. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you on social media, check in on your radio work and, and your podcast stuff. Yeah, it's at Josh Booty 10. So the number 10, one zero. Um, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Josh Booty. Um, I, I host a I host radio shows in Louisiana and nationally. I'm also uh, have my own podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's B L E A V. It's a net a podcast network out of Los Angeles, but I cover the SEC football, do LSU, the national scene. Um, anyways, I, I'm on that network um, and uh, have fun with it all, man. I, I I'm I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of bouncing around, do a lot of national stuff, but it's it's uh you know it's kind of random so i have fun with it all well josh i appreciate your time thanks so much for sharing your story and you have a good one hey thank you so much for having me kyle that was fun of course appreciate it and that is a wrap on episode three of from phenom to the farm really want to say thanks to josh booty for taking the time laying out his career story really enjoyed that please go give him a follow on social media check out everything he's doing with podcasting and sports radio um josh was a really nice guy really generous to take this much time if you enjoyed this interview please remember go subscribe wherever you get your podcast and if you so wish Leave a five-star rating and a review as those are extremely helpful to grow this podcast. Make sure you're checking out BaseballAmerica.com for all things amateur and professional baseball coverage, including college baseball coverage, and subscribe to the regular Baseball America podcast feed. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. That's B-A-N-D-U-J-O. And we will catch you for episode four of From Phenom to the Farm in two weeks. Thanks. Thanks.